Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and this is my conversation with Mike Quinn, puppeteer and creature performer. From Jabba's eyes to Sai Snoodles to Nine Numb returning and then surviving to the end of The Last Jedi, we talk about it all. I've been wanting Mr. Quinn on the show since the very beginning, so it is so exciting for me to say that this is Talking Bay 94, Episode 40, Mike Quinn. Today we are joined by Mr. Mike Quinn, who I've been uh, wanting to get on the show for such a long time. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Quinn, thank you so, so much for, for coming on Talking Bay 94. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, finally, here I am. Here <laughs> I, we are. Thank we you. Are. I mean, I was saying right before we started, I think you were one of the first guests I ever reached out to, and here we are. Uh, wow. I have so, I have so many questions. Uh, we'll, just, we'll just dive. We'll dive right in. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Now, run. Um, well, before we even dive into Star Wars and Roger Rabbit and Dark Crystal, how did you first find your love of puppeteering? Did it start at a very young age? What was that first inspiration? Yeah, yeah. I, I had always liked puppets, uh, funnily enough. And, you know, when I was a kid in the UK anyway, we had these little old black and white uh, 1950s uh, films. Often there were the marionettes and things like that. Um preschool sort of stuff so i used to watch those uh, at home before i went to school you know before i was going to school mm. in fact so i saw that and we'd you know we'd see like punch and judy shows you know we had the old sort of puppetry tradition in the uk so so i'd always been around those things plus um i had a few of my own little uh uh, a little bit later on, my own, uh, I had some marionettes and, and some glove puppets. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually did a little live show that I, in a booth, in a puppetry booth that, that was built. Um, and I wrote a script and colored in scenery and taped it up to the booth. And, and uh, yeah, we'll do, we'll do this little sort of short show. I sort of uh, double featured it with, I had a magic act as well. So <laughs> sometimes I would do partial magic and then, then finish up with the puppet show. Mm -hmm. um, and really, I just wanted the, the puppets to end up with a big sort of custard pie fight where they sort of hit each other in the face with, with pies. So I managed to, to write that in, of course. It, it probably wasn't very motivated. You know, my script writing skills were not that great, I'm sure. But I had fun with it anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was about eight or nine. Yeah, maybe eight, I think, when I was doing that, perhaps. Um, so I was into all that stuff. But I was also into... Uh, you know, cartoons and drawing and voices and, and Laurel and Hardy and all that kind of stuff. So so that's sort of where I was at growing up. Puppets were always there for sure and part of my life, mm -hmm. uh, definitely, and, and other, other TV shows. It, it was a big thing. But so in 1976, Muppet Show uh, hit big in the UK uh, a lot sooner than it did in the States. Mm -hmm. And I became this uh, huge fan of, uh, of the show really early on and, and was obsessed about about how how were these things built and how did they move and what was what was going on here because it was such a radical uh, departure from the, the old school uh, puppets that I was used to. Um, so I was about twelve at the time, uh, and uh, this sort of was my became my new obsession. I sort of shifted from from drawing cartoons and and uh, and all the the animation stuff into into puppets, which is really just live action cartoons anyway, isn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's cartoons in real time. So, uh, yes, I started to, to uh, gather everything I could about Muppets. Who were they? What are they? You know, what, how does this work? And, and looking for every photo and every behind the scenes thing I could find. Um, 
Uh, and uh, at some point I started uh, making my own puppets as well, trying to work out how they were built and practicing the, the, the puppetry kind of techniques and that sort of thing in, in front of a mirror. So, so yeah, I sort of hit the ground running with that in, in sort of from 76 onwards. And the, the, yeah, and I, I met all the puppet guys for the very first time, the, the five main uh, principal puppeteers in 77. Mm -hmm. uh, they were appearing at a London uh, radio station, uh, an interview. Uh, so I intercepted them in the lobby <laughs> <laughs> and uh, got their autographs. So that's when I first met them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's so great. And then how, how did you then get involved professionally with them and working so closely, you know, side by side with Jim Henson and kind of yeah. learning, learning uh, puppeteering? Yeah. How does that happen exactly? Um, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting, magical, weird, um, series of events, essentially, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, you know, sort of unpredictable. I mean, first of all, uh, the fact that uh, I discovered that this American, very American uh, Muppet show was made, you know, sort of I grew up in Enfield and the show was made in Boreham Wood at uh, ATV Studios, which is now the BBC, um, at Elstree. So, so, and I could literally, it was a bus ride from, from my door to theirs, uh, wow. which was kind of crazy. So that's one weird thing. But that wasn't enough, of course, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, to get it going. But um, uh, how did that work? Well, um, my dad uh, was working for a company that was a supplier for, for something at one point um, for their, uh, I think it was some event for their social, the, the ATV uh, social club or something. The guys that worked <laughs> in the studio would have, have their nights there, you know. So he provided something for them. So he got in, he got to know, um, uh, I think it was an accountant that was working there. So, so that sort of became my very first visit uh, after that. Uh, you know, he basically got us in to uh, visit the, the very first, uh, my very first taping, uh, what, viewing of wow. taping, which was, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, Wonder Woman, um, Linda Carter. So, mm. and that, so that was 1980, yeah, the early 1980. But of course, for me, that wasn't enough. That wasn't good enough, you know. So because it, I was in the final year of the final six months, really, of my schooling, uh, we had these things uh, called work experience where you could basically uh, spend, you know, a couple of weeks um, working with uh, other companies. So so rather than do that as an apprentice or whatever, I would just literally have the odd day off school. Usually it was on a Wednesday when they were filming uh, guest stars on Muppet Show, coincidentally. And uh, so I would have that one day off and I would just get on the bus and, uh, and literally bribe that accountant. <laughs> with uh, chocolates and cigarettes uh, so I could get through security through the gate <laughs> uh -huh. and sit and watch these uh, shows being made uh, uh, every week or every other week or whatever. So so they got to know me, basically. Um, I would do everything I could possibly think of to sort of interact with them in the workshop, with the puppet makers and with the puppeteers. I'd bring my puppets in that I'd, I'd built um, to show them, and uh, Jim Henson would put them on and do voices for wow. them and stuff like that. So. Uh, you know, and he was he was a busy guy, obviously performing and directing and producing, but yet he he made time for for mm -hmm. me, you know. And they all did really. That's the thing about those guys, you know. They all they would all talk to this uh, fifteen year old kid, yeah. uh, wow. <laughs> you know. Um, but that was that, you know that's kind of how they were though, and that's how Jim was. So so at least I, I became familiar to them at that point. And then uh, in the summer of uh, eighty. Uh, you know, I, school finished. I left. It mm -hmm. came to an end. There was nothing there for me. They were glad to get rid of me. Like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't come back. Don't come back. It just, we can't help. They actually said we can't help you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, just, they actually said 
just 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 keep doing what you're doing we is beyond our comprehension bye you know so <laughs> uh you know close the gate on your way out so um yeah so that was that was me and so uh, they'd finished taping uh, Muppet Show. I think it was something like June of 1980, and the the very last guest star was Gene Kelly. So I watched mm-hmm. that being taped. Wow. Uh, and then uh, they went across the street, literally across the road to the film studio, uh, and, and began the Great Muppet Caper. Um, so uh, armed with um, a uh, a letter asking Jim for a job. Um, <laughs> with uh, pictures of my puppets and right. and I had a newspaper article that, that, that I had that they'd done about me in the local paper, uh, put all that in a, in an envelope to give to Jim, but they were on location, uh, that, uh, you know, they're shooting all the location work first, which of course is traditionally what, what happens in filmmaking. So, uh, at least, uh, you know, in that, that kind of film. So, uh, yeah. Um, so I had to get on a series of coaches and buses that took all day from like the center of London out to the, this village in Hertfordshire <laughs> and uh, finally got there about four in the afternoon or something. And they were filming the scene where the Muppets drop out of the airplane into the duck pond mm-hmm. um, near the beginning of the film. Uh, so anyone that knows the movie will remember that scene. Yeah. So that was at a place called Haddenham Village. And uh, so I saw the last hour or two of filming and at the end of the day, uh, it, it turned out that it was Jim Henson's 44th birthday. And so people were giving him birthday cards. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> of course, I got in line and gave him mine at the end of the shoot. <laughs> and, you know, he obviously thought it was a birthday card and thanked me for that. And uh, off they got in their limos and sped off, basically. So, you know, meanwhile, I uh, pleased with the fact that I was able to give it to him and had a, had a, good, uh, a good afternoon watching the show. Sort of went back to my bus stop and took my 300 coaches and buses back home. Got home about 10:30 <laughs> at night, uh, and that was it. That was that basically. But a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from David Laser, the exec producer, right. uh, asking if I'd like to come and and uh, work as a puppeteer for uh, basically a week, essentially on you know on background crowd scenes. Wow. Um, so, which of course, you know, I had to well i better accept this now hadn't i now i've really gone and done it (laughs) no training no interview no no schooling no um audition nothing (laughs) a bit a bit mad but they were you know they were just trying me out for a week basically i guess and and i heard years later that jim had basically said you know well he's he's hanging around here so much anyway we might as well give him a job so (laughs) it's like i guess it you know, but Jim was like that. He was very good at sort of giving people chances and letting them sort of become the best they could be. He created mm-hmm. that environment for everyone, which was really, uh, you know, a, a special uh, ability that he had, to be honest, a special gift. So and that was it. So I sort of began well, well this might have been, I want to say maybe it was August of, of 80, I think something like that. And uh, yeah, the first week was on location. The first puppet I ever worked was the Swedish chef. Wow. Uh, that was on the first night on the yeah, outside on, on the uh, Happiness Hotel bus so when it pulls up at the Dubonnet Club mm-hmm. nightclub, which was actually the front of Elstree Studios. And then uh, the <laughs> second night we were in London. I was uh, in uh, Beauregard was driving a little yellow uh, taxi. It was an Austin A1, I think it was, or something like that, around London. And mm-hmm. it was a stunt uh, driver uh, in a in a Beauregard. Uh, costume hmm. uh and uh, i was in the back working kermit and gonzo wow. there were wide shots you know as they're right. driving past harrods and around knightsbridge around london in real traffic i might mm-hmm. add <laughs> uh 
so that was a very bizarre experience so that was yeah. that was night two and then the rest of the week we were at uh, nebworth house just up in stevenage which is where the exteriors of the mallory gallery were were filmed um where they're, they're trying to get in through the gate and climbing hmm. the drain pipes and all that kind of stuff so that was my first week and then <laughs> i they were like oh can you come back next week and can you do this and can you do that right. so it just kind of kept rolling on and and then that was it i just became like this uh permanent fixture and, and at that point i was assisting uh frank with fozzy and miss piggy uh, right. i was assisting jim with uh kermit and ralph the dog and and doubling up for for principal characters as well in in wide shots uh, among plenty of uh chickens and rats <laughs> and things like that right so i be- sort of became a part of the 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 british sort of crew really part of the yeah. british team you know muppet team essentially and and that was it really there was sort of no no uh, turning back uh it was an amazing time and i learned so much of course you know uh from these guys and watching how they worked and and we would watch rushes at the end of the day uh from the day before so i could sort of see on the big screen how things actually translated and looked which is different to when you're looking at a little flickery old old school monitor you know every time Mm -hmm. the film would turn over the picture would flicker and you'd only sort of get half the image it was like watching something from, you know, 150 years ago, basically, <laughs> before they invented film or whatever. <laughs> uh, it was really strange. It's so different now. So I learned so much during those first few years that the Muppet Cape of Dark Crystal and, and Return of the Jedi, there were three films pretty much back to back at, at Elm Street. Right. And, you know, and then, of course, Dark Crystal was the first creature uh, film, animatronic creature film, which mm-hmm. then h- helped me with all the Jedi uh, creatures. And so, so what I learned during those first three films set me up for the rest of my career, essentially. Well, what was that process like? Was it just because you were at Elstree and you had puppeteering experience? How did you get involved with Return of the Jedi? What was that? That was most, yeah, that was mostly it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, animatronics were a relative, well, no, they were an extremely new uh, thing at that point. Uh, E.T., I think, hadn't come until 82. Mm-hmm. We had Yoda in Empire Strikes Back, which was sort of semi-Henson. And Lucasfilm anyway right. um, and that was it you know so until Dark Crystal there was really nothing so that was sort of the first you know mm-hmm. uh, where we had to work out how how to work animatronic faces and, and you know when how do you blink and how do you how do you make a face come together in a realistic way and how do you walk that's not because we were so used to doing Muppets we had to learn okay you know they, they don't bounce and bob like Muppets they have to move in a more realistic fashion as creatures mm-hmm. and as living, breathing, uh, you know, real life entities. So we sort of learned all that stuff uh, with, with months and months of workshops and rehearsals. And then, of course, during the filming itself. So when uh, Jedi came along, Henson and Lucasfilm were, were, you know, Lucas, they were buddies anyway. They knew each other very well. So uh, it made sense for the produ- production company to, to just take on some of the uh, Dark Crystal puppeteers. Mm-hmm. Obviously, right? And we were sort of there as well. So literally, I just had a, a, an interview with Robert Watts, the mm-hmm. producer, in his office there at Elstree. A little chat, basically. Uh, and that was it. Uh, at that time, I don't think they knew what I was going to do or, or anything like that, other than that they needed puppeteers for a bunch of stuff. Right. Uh, so I was sort of hired then again without an audition or anything. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Sort of showed up, and the, it was a January, January of 1982 uh, is when we began filming. And our first scene was uh, the Jabba's throne room. So I was mm-hmm. rehearsing with Tim Rose. Uh, we were both uh, co-performing 
size noodles. Right. And then we were also re- rehearsing some Admiral Akbar stuff too. I was assisting Tim on, on the cable controls for his face, basically. Right. So uh, we sort of would go back and forth rehearsing those two things. And yeah, we filmed um, uh, Jabba's Palace first. And uh, in that, I got to operate uh, the uh, Reese uh, hand right. puppet close up. Yeah. Um, it had eye blinks and a mouth movement mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Because the, the the costume version didn't didn't have any motion in the face or anything, right? So I did that and uh, and yeah, helped him with uh, snoodles. Um, and then there was the uh, slug hanging above Jabba's head, I was right. working that. And then Jabba Jabba's head himself, right? The eye bulge of of Jabba the Hutt. That was like yeah, that was actually later on on mm-hmm. uh, in the sail barge. So oh, we okay. filmed that a few month a month or yeah or two later. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, on stage, I think that was stage nine, and Jabba's Palace was actually stage eight. Mm-hmm. And seven, eight, and nine are actually still there right now at Earl Street. Oh, wow. They haven't been pulled down; they're still being used. So, uh-huh. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, so that was a bit later on, in fact. Um, so we started out with with Jabba's Palace, and and uh, I got got to know Phil Tippett and his wife Jules and Stuart Ziff and and all the Creature Crew quite a bit because I would sort of hang around those guys and stick around in the workshop and. And play with all the puppets up there and stuff <laughs> so so uh yeah I, I i sort of i mean they they tolerated me i suppose maybe they were i don't know kind enough <laughs> but but uh and amongst all that you know i got to, to do some uh, baby ewoks right and little tiny hand puppets and um of course then frank uh, had uh yoda and because i'd assisted him with fuzzy bear then he automatically just picked me for for, for helping with Yoda uh, right. because it's the same job essentially yeah, uh-huh. and I was small and the set was very tiny and cramped so I guess he trusted me and and uh, we, we rehearsed with Yoda for several days uh, doing going through all the scenes so we got all the beats down you know so we knew what every, what we were doing and when and what the timings were so that when we got on set you know we, we could match everything from from camera angle to camera angle uh, every time we, we did a new pass, you know, we had all our beats down and our movements and, you know, th- almost down to the last breath in a way, the thoughts and when the head turns so that they would know when the eyes blink. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was all very much a coordinated uh, dance, really, very, very much thought through, you know, and, and right. we'd sort of rehearse it until it was kind of automatic. And uh, so, yeah, Yoda wasn't a long shoot by any means. It, I think we rehearsed two, two and a half, three days and the shoot might not have even been two days. Yeah. Uh, I want to say maybe even less. So, yeah, it was a it was a quick process, but uh, that's sort of how that all worked. Yeah, interesting. And then I guess the transition from doing those just running around doing different characters to then uh, Nin Num. What was that kind of process? To first, he was just a background character, right? That didn't have articulation. What was the process of of turning him to a full puppet? And yeah, they, yeah, character? they had two two masks. In fact, I you know I suppose a backup, and they were sort of made out of this sort of thick urethane foam uh which which didn't have a you know it's quite rigid didn't have a lot of movement and it sort of had this latex skin on the outside of it uh as part of you know part of the process i think so it meant that they were sort of self-supporting when you're putting them on someone in the background um but yes it didn't have any any movement at all and and this was uh when i suppose this must have been april time maybe i'm not sure um, I was again falling around up in the uh, creature shop, and Phil Tippett was there, and uh, he, he was telling me, you know, this this guy uh, has been pulled out uh, to be Lando's co-pilot, and uh, he's got dialogue, and and Phil said he didn't know what he was going to do because 
you know, there's no articulation in the face, so maybe you'll have to hide the hide the mouth uh, because it doesn't move. Right. Maybe put uh, little bladders in the cheeks to make them billow out, and put a, put an oxygen mask on his face, and and mm-hmm. you know, and get get by that way. And, and, I, and I thought that's that's kind of a bit, you know, not that's not that great, is it? I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I put my hand inside and, and demonstrated to him that you know you can actually make his mouth move and talk. If this was a, a, a do it like a hand puppet, sort of put a, a put out the brain in there to support the back of the hand and put in some thumb grips. Uh, and because I was a builder, of course, as well. So I knew, you know, I knew how to how to sort of do this. And he thought that was actually a very good idea. So he suggested I, um, you know, finish fitting that out, just glue stuff in there, do whatever I needed to do, cut bits out and glue things in. And, uh, you know, in about a week's time, do a, a film test, which is what happened. So we did we did a film test for George Lucas and he looked at that. And uh, I suggested, you know, you could put in some eye blinks with cable controls and and wiggle his ears and that sort of stuff. And he asked uh, Stuart Ziff, the coordinator, you know, can you do it? How soon can we have it back? You know, can, 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 we, can we shoot this in a couple of weeks? And he said, sure. So they immediately shipped it off to uh, ILM in California, mechanized the head. Wow. Uh, and finished it up and it came back. And uh, yeah, so I, I think it was May when we filmed that scene. And uh, somehow I was puppeteering him. I love it. <laughs> I, I, love it. <laughs> I was there and uh, had a solution. And they trusted this 17 year old kid. I don't know. That was yeah. crazy. But, but there we are, you know. <laughs> in the falcon cockpit ready to go yeah yeah so it was amazing it was a lovely lovely scary fantastic exciting time obviously um, right. yeah and, <laughs> and uh, you know it's something i hadn't really done before obviously so uh, you know sort of major dialogue with with the main character in right. the climax of the trilogy is is quite quite a responsibility <laughs> yeah no he still stands out as a, as a major you know character especially in return of the jedi and then what was that like having to come back then in, in the sequel trilogies <laughs> and 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 it was not as much of a puppet for you right you you actually wore the mask and and then there was animatronics being controlled yeah, separately. what yeah, was, was that a, kind of difference very different process and of course mm-hmm. it was a different sculpt and and uh, uh, plus, you know, he was supposed to be 30 years older, so he had more wrinkles <laughs> anyway. And right. I think JJ requested he be darkened down a bit and that sort uh-huh. of thing. So, um, but I, I could, you know, theoretically, um, you know, I could look through his eyes when, when they weren't fogged up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, be, I was him myself as well. So, so uh, there was still some of, of that same, you know, life force, I guess, coming mm-hmm. through him in the new movies albeit he's a more serious you know nine now because he's older and he's been through a lot and right. in many ways he either there's more at stake or he just appreciates that now so he's not right. quite so so happy go lucky and and chuckly you know now because mm-hmm. things are different but but nevertheless you know the the the, the, the way i approach the, this is what's interesting you know the way i approach the hand puppet um was actually very, you know, very much a Muppet creature kind of approach, mm-hmm. uh, where everything, the, you know, the, the poses are, are very supposed to be very sort of clean. If you think of it more like animation, where you're going sort of from one position to another, and everything reads very cleanly. It's very sort of specific, and and you're hitting poses, you know, and, and looks and 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 silhouettes and that kind of thing. So I sort of did that intuitively, I suppose, with Nine Numb in Return of the Jedi. But then it's funny, um, you know, now we come 
come to the new trilogy and everything's a lot more sort of creaturey and then the eyes are generally smaller and there's they're more wrinkly and and they have all these wonderful um facial movements now that we didn't have back then uh right. with all the micro servos and, and the controllers and the, the you know the the experience of the puppeteers so so the faces can do so much more now the bodies are moving in a more of a creaturey way for whatever that means and the faces right. move in a more creaturey way and so so i sort of in the new movies i had to say to all my face guys uh uh you know like okay this is what you would normally do and you know this is what you've been taught to do and told to do however this guy completely goes against the grain of all the other creatures that you would normally work in this film and in other movies and other TV, Doctor Who, whatever, you know, this is like completely mm -hmm. different. Think of this guy as a cartoon where he literally, literally just, you know, he goes from a pose to another pose and yeah. his face is one face in one expression and then it changes and it becomes something else. So it's everything's, it's not writhy, keep it alive kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's, it's a cartoon. He's just a cartoon. And just as long as you think of him like that, and and work him that work his eyebrows and his eyelids and i always like to use his eyelids almost as though they were eyebrows you know when they go big when he's surprised and and low and he's thoughtful so that was what i always i was always always rode my pup my face guys quite hard because i had very specific ideas about how he should look and, and think and move so right. so he's sort of the he's sort of an anti-creature in a way he's almost like you know the only sort of actual real life cartoon i think in some ways uh on 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 in the movies that right. that's how i you know how i see him anyway it's interesting i've not really talked much about that before but but uh <laughs> but it is great it's very gratifying coming back definitely you know it's been 37 years now between return of the jedi and now so which is crazy isn't it really yeah and it was great that they i mean it was you and and mr rose of course both coming back yeah, and both him, adapting yeah. the character different you know not as much of a puppet anymore but also just embodying the character that you've spent almost 40 years with so i yeah. thought that was such a nice a nice touch it's wonderful and i didn't have to do that but it was very right. respectful of, of jj and kathleen kennedy and, and to the right. fans and to the movies to to try to do that you know wherever right. possible bring back the original performers bring back the original voices as well right uh you know it's it's lovely it really is and, it, and the, the thought of anyone else doing nine would have killed me it's like <laughs> oh, i have to this is my boy i've got to get yeah. back in there <clears throat> he's yeah. my kid you know uh so yeah I, I i had to i mean how could and it's been so much fun it really has yeah. it's just been an amazing amazing uh what is it now four or five years or whatever it's been since we yeah. began uh <laughs> the fourth wake <laughs> since my first costume fitting <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say i uh last jedi i, I watched twice i watched uh, on the same day i watched it right at, you know seven o'clock oh. and i went right i went right back in and watched it again and the second time oh i watched goodness. it the second time i watched it the only thing i was paying attention to for the last 30 minutes of that movie was is nine numb alive like that was yeah. i was so worried i was well, so concerned and you know and, and uh, i think a lot of the puppeteers thought he wasn't and they were afraid to tell me oh i think he's dead i think he's gone and they didn't <laughs> yeah. want to be the ones to tell me um, but we did film some stuff of, of him running through the salt mines uh, right. uh, with, with, you know, Rose was on the stretcher behind me. C-3PO was just in front of me. And then right. I think uh, Leia and, and, and Poe were in front of him. Uh -huh. So and I think when I saw the 3D IMAX, I just caught a glimpse over Poe's shoulder when he's right. looking out at the at, at Ray or out of the Falcon when they come through the rocks there. I saw like him in the shadows, but in any other time, I've not really noticed him. And the, the rest were 
they were just legs and and they cut most of it out you know so that's why people didn't know well hang on we haven't seen him since he was with in the you know in the ship with uh uh whatever her name is laura dunn whatever her character was called so uh you know people have thought oh well he's gone isn't he he must be gone because we haven't seen him but but you know the, the salt mine stuff was just cut out for for, for time and, and and drama obviously so but so yeah it's like at the time i knew okay if i get on the falcon i'm in the next film i'm still alive so, <laughs> yeah and finally it was like the yeah it was the last shot or whatever and it's him on the yeah. falcon i was like okay we're good he's he's okay oh, thank goodness yeah I know. where's he been what's he been doing all this yeah. time you know take taking a nap for the whole movie but <laughs> and I, I don't know i wonder if they just forgot to kill me off and then they thought oh we better put him back on the ship you know <laughs> yeah. who knows i'm not yeah. sure because i i wasn't in a lot of those other interim scenes you know right. where they're loading up in the in in the the transports and those kind of shots and stuff down you know in the wider shots before they they took off and stuff but we did we did film me running but and i had a big old blaster too you know i asked for that specifically because the toys <laughs> always had him right. blaster and, big one, and yeah. the games of course and all yeah. that so it's like can i have a can i have, give me give me a prop you know ryan ryan let me have <laughs> that's very nice of him uh but but it, it yeah unfortunately people uh, didn't didn't know that I was still alive. Of course, it's just the way it worked out. Yeah, but no, I did make it to the end, and that's all that And that was a, a lovely thing. Yeah, coming so. back to the Falcon, that was so great. Yeah, it was it was very yeah very strange feeling being back in there again. Actually, uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was, and I think that was I think that was Carrie Fisher's last uh, film uh, shot as well. Uh, you know, in that wide shot. Yeah. So as far as I know. Um, wow. So what I would love to talk about something that I don't see talked about that often is is you came to ILM as an animator and yeah. and worked uh you not only brought Yoda to life uh in return of the Jedi but you also helped bring him digitally to life in Attack of the Clones which I thought is so interesting. What was that like coming to ILM and not only working on Toy Story and Jurassic Park but then working on a franchise that you had already uh been a part of physically? It was a very different thing. I mean, the only real reason I actually went to ILM was because I'd heard they were doing Yoda as CG for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted him to be true to the puppet, you know. I right. wanted him to move uh, the way that Frank would move him. Uh, and having doubled for Frank for his characters, I know how Frank moves his arm and the, the, the kinetic way in which, you know, he what his manipulation style is, why his characters... Uh, move how they how he accelerates and decelerates head turns and and just the just sort of the whole mechanics of of when he's performing a puppet so i could mimic that and i thought well this is what they need for for the animation you know reference or, or at least animate him in that same kind of way because i know exactly how he moves you know mm -hmm. and i thought maybe i can help that so that was why i went there in the first place but after about halfway through, they always when you go into ILM, they would put you through sort of a, a I don't know, six weeks or month or whatever of, of training on their, you know, to get up to speed on their computer software and that kind of right. thing. But I got pulled out about halfway through because uh, they'd lost a, a, a person on Jurassic Park 3. So, mm -hmm. so they pulled me out to work on that for six months, which was great fun. Of course, that was good. <clears throat> but then when, I, when that was finished and I came back to work on uh, Attack of the Clones, they're already well into uh, the Yoda stuff and they'd already finished the facial rig. You know, I wanted to rig him up like you'd rig the animatronic head, 
um, because to me it was a lot more logical and would move uh, again in the, in the same kind of way. But that was too late, and and you know a lot of the animators were already well entrenched in the in the the Yoda animation stuff. So I just got a uh, you know sort of few leftover bits basically, and that was it. So it didn't quite deliver on in the way that I had fantasized in my head. But that's life sometimes. But at right. least I tried, and I was there anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It That's meant at least I had a little part of the prequel as well. So yeah, you're the, in all three, all few, three, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's not many. The Anthony Daniels, <laughs> Warwick Davis. Uh, anyone else? <laughs> uh, Peter Mayhew was in Revenge of the Sith. That's true. Yes, Awakens. Peter and Peter. Yes. Yeah. So there's yeah. like just a handful of us that were involved yeah. in all performing and all or working wow. in some way in all three trilogies and that's it. it yeah so it's yeah amazing really amazing now I, I know you're you're not only just involved with sequels and with um other projects but you also just kickstarted your autobiography which uh i backed i'm very excited to finally get my hands on that yeah thank you yeah yeah it's it's, it's good it's, it's funny all these things keep coming to me so i'm still sort of you know working on the the broad strokes on it right. uh, uh as as that's really the the, the appropriate way to be sort of just keep throwing things on paper and not be precious <laughs> yeah. about it. And, you know, half of it is editing, to be honest. So, right. you know, uh, so that's the sort of the second stage. I, I, I asked a, a poll on, on my Facebook page about, you know, did they just want my career or did they want, uh, you know, some real life stuff as well or what? Mm -hmm. And two to one, everyone sort of said, basically, they wanted sort of everything. They want to know, you know, how the whys and hows and yeah. what, uh, you know, what makes me tick and, and all that kind of thing. So, so it makes it a, in some ways a harder book to write, certainly because uh -huh. it gets a bit more personal. But right. but nevertheless, I'll try and find that right balance. And uh, you know, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great process. I was going to wait, you know, to do it later, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. But people kept asking me, and I thought, well, you know, maybe tomorrow just never comes, and perhaps I should just sort of, you know, this this way will guarantee that it gets done. That you know, I'll be forced to do it, and 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 this will be the first edition, <laughs> right. which is always a nice thing and, it, and each one you know the actual hard copies anyway right it's softback and hardback so that's a bit you know nice special thing for the hardcore uh, true you know Definitely. big fans at least and then the second edition will probably be more print on demand kind of thing and yeah. you know not signed so and and maybe not as not as uh, fancy looking perhaps i don't know so so but that would be later on you know so it's like a special first edition very limited run essentially but it's 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 good it's it's, it's fun yeah yeah and and i hope that maybe you know it'll fill in some some gaps for people perhaps as well or people that are kind of wondering you know how can they do this or how can they do something at least in the creative field uh you know not necessarily puppeteering but but what you know what what makes someone you know how do you get from from uh, a to 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 z or from a to b anyway right. I and mean, how do you you know how how does how does someone get from being a normal regular person uh that has nothing to do with this to to doing you know to doing something like this how mm -hmm. does that happen and it's i think there are a lot of common things that happen i'm not the only one who's done this obviously but but um there are a lot of reasons things that ways that you think and things that you do that sort of push you down uh, or, or throw you you know towards your your dreams and your goals and your desires and so perhaps you know the more I talk about that maybe that would just sort of help other people think well maybe I can become a, you know a, a, an artist or a sculptor or an actor or a singer or, or a musician after all you know maybe I shouldn't give up on that uh you know it's not just for a chosen few with who were born with talent you know and I I do 
quite often talk about talent and 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 how how I don't think talent is actually a thing. You know, it's just a series of of uh, learning and techniques. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I don't think anyone's born with anything. To be honest, I mean, you might have some some DNA stuff that you're predisposed to to do one thing better than another. Maybe you know. Mr. Quinn, thank you so, so much for taking the time and finally coming oh, on the show. Wonderful. This was, thank this you. was yeah. such a treat and such a such such an honor. And so I really, oh. really appreciate it. Well, yeah, thank you so much. And it has been a lot of fun. And and uh, yeah, I hope in some way that that, uh, you know, it, it helps other people realize that maybe, you know, if there's something that they've been wanting to do out there, but have been sort of afraid to or whatever that you know it's, you know don't don't be fearful because that is what sort of stops you from doing things and just just uh put yourself uh in front of people that are actually doing what you want to do and uh, and dream big and just just go for it you know just keep doing it well i couldn't say it better myself again mr quinn thank you so much and uh and may the force be with you uh thank you may the force be with you too thanks so much bye Thank you again to Mr. Quinn for being on the show and letting me wear him down over the past year and asking him to come on. It was definitely worth the wait and a huge honor. His upcoming book, Talk to the Hand, can be pre-ordered on Kickstarter now. The link is in the show notes as well as links to his Secrets of Puppeteering class and Quinzone Studios at quinzonestudios.com. Next week, we are talking to Expanded Universe author Kevin J. Anderson. So until then, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the force be with you.